welcome to season two of Bible study for regular people. I'm Tana. Let's get started. First, I just want to say my thoughts and prayers, of course, have been with everyone on the West Coast affected by the forest fires, which is incredibly heartbreaking. And the smoke where I'm at, uh, while horrible, does serve as this constant reminder that there are people elsewhere losing their homes and even loved ones or businesses right now. And so it has kept them on my mind and I just wanted to acknowledge that because um, if 2020 couldn't get worse, one more, one more tragic, tragic thing going on in 2020, but let's not, let's not ask for more. Today we're reading in Psalm 35. The theme is a prayer to God for help against those who try to inflict injury for no reason. When our enemies are unjust and lie about us, even when we do good to them, we can appeal to God, who is always just. Authors David, possibly written when he was being hunted by Saul. Verse 1. A Lord oppose those who oppose me. Fight those who fight against me. Put on your armor and take up your shield. Prepare for battle and come to my aid. Lift up your spear and javelin against those who pursue me. Let me hear you say, I will give you victory. Bring shame and disgrace on those trying to kill me. Turn them back and humiliate those who want to harm me. Blow them away like chaff in the wind, a wind sent by the angel of the Lord. Make their path dark and slippery, while the angel of the Lord with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. I did them no wrong, but they laid a trap for me. I did them no wrong, but they dug a pit to catch me. So let sudden ruin come upon them. Let them be caught in the trap they set for me. Let them be destroyed in the pit they dug for me. Then I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be glad because he rescues me. With every bone in my body, I will praise him, Lord. Who can compare with you? Who else rescues the helpless from the strong? Who else protects the helpless and poor from those who rob them? Malicious witnesses testify against me. They accuse me of crimes I know nothing about. They repay me evil for good. I am sick with despair. Yet when they were ill, I grieved for them. I denied myself by fasting for them. But my prayers returned unanswered. I was sad, as though they were my friends or family, as if I were grieving for my own mother. But they are glad now that I am in trouble. They gleefully join together against me. I'm attacked by people I don't even know. They slander me constantly. They mock me and call me names. They snarl at me. How long, O Lord, will you look on and do nothing? Rescue me from their fierce attacks. Protect my life from these lions. Then I will thank you in front of the great assembly. I will praise you before all the people. Don't let my treacherous enemies rejoice over my defeat. Don't let those who hate me 
without cause gloat over my sorrow. They don't talk of peace. They plot against innocent people who mind their own business. They shout, aha, aha. With our own eyes, we saw him do it. O Lord, you know all about this. Do not stay silent. Do not abandon me now, O Lord. Wake up, rise to my defense. Take up my case, O God and my Lord. Declare me not guilty, O Lord my God, for you give justice. Don't let my enemies laugh about me in my troubles. Don't let them say, Look, we got what we wanted. Now we will eat him alive. May those who rejoice at my troubles be humiliated and disgraced. May those who triumph over me be covered with shame and dishonor. But give great joy to those who come to my defense. Let them continually say, Great is the Lord who delights in blessing his servant with peace. Then I will proclaim your justice and I will praise you all day long. So when I read this, wow, I um, kind of had trouble finishing it because I kept getting teary-eyed because this seemed like, like in my mind as I was reading it, for a moment I completely forgot about David and I started thinking of um, our brothers and sisters of races of color that, you know, have been persecuted over the years. Um, and I thought of Botham Jean, who was a young black man who graduated from Harding University, which is the college I graduated from, who was killed just a couple years ago by a police officer who came into his apartment and killed him and said she thought she was entering her apartment. She went into the wrong apartment and killed a Christian man who was just sitting, who was just in his apartment doing nothing. And he was, um, from, I didn't know him personally. He started at Harding after I had already graduated a few years earlier. So I, I never knew him personally. But from what I read, he was just a, an amazing individual. Um, and so I read this where David says... Malicious witnesses testify against me. They accuse me of crimes I know nothing about. They repay me evil for good. And then in verse 15 it says, But they are glad now that I am in trouble. They gleefully join together against me. I'm attacked by people I don't even know. They slander me constantly. And it just breaks my heart because that crap is still going on. I'm going to read some of this again. Verse 17. How long, O Lord, will you look on and do nothing? Rescue me from their fierce attacks. Protect my life from these lines. 
then I will thank you. In front of the great assembly, I will praise you before all the people. Don't let my treacherous enemies rejoice over my defeat. Don't let those who hate me without cause gloat over my sorrow. They don't talk of peace. They plot against innocent people who mind their own business. And I'm going to skip down. Verse 26 says, May those who rejoice at my troubles be humiliated and disgraced. May those who triumph over me be covered with shame and dishonor. But give great joy to those who come to my defense. Let them continually say, Great is the Lord who delights in blessing his servant with peace. I will proclaim your justice and I will praise you all day long. God, I just want to pray that you will bring peace. That you will use this Black Lives Matter movement and stirring the hearts of good people around really the world as we've seen. To be more aware, more compassionate and start protecting each other when injustice is happening. And Lord, I pray that you will use these times we're going through to bring peace. For all men you created in your image. Amen. Oh, one last comment I wanted to make on Psalm 35. Verse 4 and 5. He says, bring shame and disgrace on those trying to kill me. Turn them back and humiliate those who want to harm me. Blow them away like chaff in the wind, a wind sent by the angel of the Lord. And remember that, oh, and it says, make their path dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. (laughs) That's terrifying. Because remember that David knows the angel of the Lord up close and personal. When it came and killed off many of the Israelites because David was taking a census to see how strong his army was instead of trusting in God. I mean, when David says the angel of the Lord is pursuing them, this is not just a figure of speech. I'm thinking, anyway. David means this quite literally. That an angel from God is pursuing an enemy and he means business. <laughs> so that verse that verse stood out to me because I know that that uh, David's experiences are playing into that psalm there. Moving on to Proverbs, we are now starting at chapter 12 verse 1. To learn, you must love discipline. Not just tolerate it, but love it. To learn, you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. I just love that Solomon doesn't mince words. He and I would get along just fine. To learn, you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. Ouch. I don't want to love discipline and I 
am not particularly fond of correction. Well, the delivery is everything. <laughs> delivery is everything. Verse 2. The Lord approves of those who are good, but he condemns those who plan wickedness. Mm. Wickedness never brings stability, but the godly have deep roots. So not only does he condemn those who plan wickedness, but they are basically caught in their own instability. But the godly have deep roots. Deep roots in him, deep roots in faith, deep roots in their healthy relationships. Hmm. Verse 4. A worthy wife is a crown for her husband, but a disgraceful woman is like cancer in his bones. Hmm. And see, that is why my husband appreciates me. <laughs> I feel like quoting The Incredibles. I am the greatest good you are ever going to get. Verse 5. The plans of the godly are just. The advice of the wicked is treacherous. Mm. The plans of the godly are just. But the advice of the wicked is treacherous. Man, isn't that the truth? You take advice from people who are up to no good and you are bound to run into trouble. Verse 6. The words of the wicked are like a murderous ambush, but the words of the godly save lives. So... I would say choose your friends wisely and only seek counsel from the godly. Verse 7, the wicked die and disappear, but the family of the godly stands firm. 8, a sensible person wins admiration, but a warped mind is despised. Ooh, I've got to read that one again. A sensible person wins admiration. Interesting that he doesn't say godly or righteous, but a sensible person wins admiration. And these days, you know, they say common sense is not so common anymore. <laughs> so maybe those who do have some sense do win some admiration. But a warped mind is despised. Man, isn't that the truth? Ain't nobody got time for mind games. Verse 9, better to be an ordinary person with a servant than to be a self-important, than to be self-important but have no food. <laughs> better to be an ordinary person with a servant than to be a self-important, than to be self-important but have no food. Hmm. Interesting. I always find scriptures about servants interesting because, of course, our American history of servants and servitude is horrific, but in Bible times it was nothing, nothing like what our history has shown. Um, and so it's interesting to read scriptures about it because part of me just recoils at the thought of servants at all. And then I have to remind myself, no, it was kind of a job, but different. I don't know. It'd be nice to jump back in time and really see what all that was about. But 
Anyway, it's better to be an ordinary person and have a servant than to be self-important but have no food. Don't put yourself on your own pedestal. Let other people give you the feedback. Verse 10, the godly care for their animals, but the wicked are always cruel. Ooh, ooh, and I can't stand people who are cruel to animals. I don't even know how people do that. There's a special place in hell in my in my mind for people who are cruel to animals. That makes me want to pet my little dog's head because I love her so much. Verse 11, a hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies has no sense. <laughs> oh, Solomon, I love it. A hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies has no sense. Man, how many parents have tried to convince their kids that over the years, but they just got to learn the hard way. But you know what? Occasionally people do make it chasing their dreams and they're very successful or at least successful enough to live on. Unfortunately, in today's society, because we're all much more closely connected through the internet and such, it makes it seem much, much more feasible for people to chase fantasies and see it as being successful because they see people doing it all the time. Therefore, it should be doable for them too, right? Except the reality is, for most people, it's still just a fantasy. fantasy. And for those who are successful with it, it is... They have no life except pursuing that thing. And there's a lot of luck involved as well. So, anyway... I think we might just stop there. I feel myself starting to sound like my parents. <laughs> yeah, we're going to stop there. In the New Testament today, we are moving on to Acts chapter 9. Last time in chapter 8, we read about Philip preaching and then his outreach to an Ethiopian eunuch using the book of Isaiah. And so now it's moving from Philip to Saul, and this is Saul's conversion. Now, last time we read about Saul would have been at the death of Stephen. And chapter 8, verse 1 says, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. So he was kind of an accomplice to murder there. And here we go in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, so while Philip was going around preaching, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city. You will be told what you must do. 
The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, and when he opened his eyes he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, Go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized after he ate some food and regained his strength. So in this section, we don't read a whole lot about Saul's persecution of Christians, but of course he does tell us more about that uh, himself in later books of the Bible. But I thought I would read a commentary from this section uh, when it talks about how he wanted to go all the way to Damascus to arrest Christians. And my Bible comments uh, that he was so zealous for his Jewish beliefs that he began a persecution campaign against anyone who believed in Christ. Why would the Jews in Jerusalem want to persecute Christians as far as way, as far as far away as Damascus? There's several possibilities. So these are all theories. They're not saying this is why that happened, but just speculating. Uh, one, to seize the Christians who had fled. Two to prevent the spread of Christianity to other major cities. Three, to keep the Christians from causing any trouble with Rome. Four, to advance Saul's career and build his reputation as a true Pharisee zealous for the law. Or five, to unify the factions of Judaism by giving them a common enemy. And this is another really good one that I like. Sometimes these, these commentaries, they're kind of, you know kind of wishy-washy, but occasionally I run into some I really like. Uh, so this one says, as Saul traveled to Damascus pursuing Christians, he was confronted by the risen Christ and brought face to face with the truth of the good news. Sometimes God breaks into a life in a spectacular manner, and sometimes conversion is a quiet experience. Beware of people who insist that you must have a particular type of conversion experience. The right way to come to faith in Jesus is, whatever way, God brings you. Amen. I like that. I, I, uh, 
am not a fan of when I hear people say that, you know, you're not a believer until you have this certain type of experience or whatever. Um, and the truth is, uh, God's the one who controls that, not us. Um, and he's going to reach people in whatever way he so chooses. Okay, the last comments you'll hear from me on this, I promise. Um, I'm just going to summarize one of these comments I read, which talks about how when individuals in scripture receive the Holy Spirit, it's often followed by something like speaking in tongues or prophesying or doing miracles or something like that. In Saul's case, what he got was vision. It doesn't have this this big expression the way it it's shown in some other places and, and in other places it just says that people got the holy spirit and they were baptized there's not a big um event that that it talks about coming along with it uh so i thought that was interesting because i've studied that in other sections you know uh which comes first the holy spirit or baptism and it goes back and forth either way it doesn't really matter uh, where it mentions it it can happen one way or the other and sometimes it comes along with some sort of uh, miracle or spiritual gift. And sometimes it just says they got the Holy Spirit. Uh, but I just thought that was interesting because I hadn't ever thought about that from this particular event in Saul's life. And then this other comment I'm going to read for you, which is about verses 15 to 16, which says, But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as the people of Israel. So he's chosen him for a job. And then it says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Which sounds harsh, but I like what this commenter wrote. Faith in Christ brings great blessings, but often great suffering too. Paul would suffer for his faith. God calls us to commitment, not comfort. He promises to be with us through suffering and hardship, not to spare us from them. And that's another one of those things that I'm always cautious about when I hear someone preaching health and wealth faith, that, you know, all you have to do is believe and God, or God will take care of your health and make you wealthy. I don't think that's true. Clearly from the scripture, it's not. At least it wasn't for Saul. Um, and I don't think that's ever been true in my life. <laughs> Hasn't happened yet. So anyway, I, I like that Saul is an example of someone who becomes a great believer and also suffers for it. And I like that this commenter wrote, God, uh, he being God, promises to be with us through suffering and hardship. And it's not necessarily that he causes the suffering and hardship, but just that that's going to happen because of the things that he calls us uh, to do with our life. But he doesn't leave us alone in those times. He's with us every minute. And I just think that's awesome. And right now I think that's rather pertinent because I feel like there's a lot of suffering around the world at the moment with everything that's going on. And to all believers out there who are having a hard time, God is with you through suffering and hardship. He is there.